Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is the 8th of February, 2022. I am Carmen LaBerge, and this is Mornings with Carmen. You're listening to Faith Radio. You can find great resources related to this program and a lot of other stuff that we have available for you. And your experience of discipleship as a follower of Jesus, or maybe you don't know him yet and you'd like to get to know him, um, we'd like to invite you to MyFaithRadio.com, where... Um, There are opportunities for you to meet Jesus and be equipped as a disciple in his name. So one of the things that I ask frequently here on Mornings with Carmen is where in the word are you today? By that, I am seeking to provoke you to consider where you are in Christ, your standing in Christ, who is the very word of God made flesh to dwell among us. I'm also uh, provoking a conversation about where you are in the Bible in terms of your scripture reading and study. So as a community, we are reading through the book of Acts during the month of February. And so if you are looking for a consistent way to read through the Bible, we'd invite you to join us. If you go to MyFaithRadio.com, you can still sign up to join us in our Acts reading in the month of February. 28 days in February, 28 chapters in Acts. Yeah, we did the math. All right, so we are in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts today, and it leads off with a sentence that requires you having read chapter 7 and actually chapter 6 as well. So back in chapter 6, we meet a guy named Stephen. Stephen becomes one of the seven deacons, uh, the guys who are responsible for the collection and then redistribution of Uh, of goods, of aid to those who are in need. And so then we have uh, the testimony of who Stephen is, and then we have Stephen brought before, uh, falsely accused of all kinds of heretical things, and, uh, and brought before the religious leadership of the day. Now there we would be talking about the Jewish leadership They determine, uh, because false testimony is brought against him, and then Stephen preaches a sermon that frankly cuts them to the heart and enrages them, and they take him out into the town and they stone him. They kill him. That's chapter 7. And so the beginning of chapter 8, the first words of chapter 8 are, Saul approved of his execution. So who is Saul? That's going to be a question you're going to want to hold on to as we enter further into our study of the book of Acts. But here's uh, the rest of the opening of chapter 8. So there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and all were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So what's going on is after the stoning of Stephen, who is the first martyr of the faith uh, in terms of the Christian church, 
He's the first person who is just intentionally killed because he's a Jesus follower. Uh, the the church, which numbers in you know well over ten thousand at this point, those people are scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And when you think back to the Great Commission, when you think back to the opening chapter of the of the Book of Acts, where Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, commissions the church. You know, he talks about the word going forth, um, you know, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? And so this is part of the advance of the gospel. And what you are going to very, very quickly note in this chapter, uh, in chapter 8, is that as the gospel goes forth beyond Jerusalem, it also goes beyond the Jews, and so the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles, to people outside of the Jewish faith, begins here. Uh, it's really, really significant, uh, you know, expression of how the gospel is advanced. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts appears in this chapter, and it is Philip running alongside a chariot, uh, as God instructs, in order that he might open the word of God with uh, a, a man who is described as a eunuch from Ethiopia. Um, this is how the gospel gets to Africa. Like, it's incredible. This is an incredible, incredible story about the advance of the gospel. So don't miss reading it with us today. We are reading through the book of Acts during February. We have a podcast every single day related to it. We have a reading guide, a study guide. You can get all of those resources at MyFaithRadio.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We'll be right back. Listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. One of the big things happening in uh, in the world this weekend is something called the Super Bowl. Lots of people are going to tune in to watch, even those who are not particularly fans throughout the season of the two teams that will be participating. Um, in fact, people who don't watch football on a regular basis at all will likely tune in. Um, to watch this game or some portion of it or participate in a party related to it. And the numbers related to how many Americans are going to wager on the Super Bowl is the subject I want to bring up uh, in our conversation right now. It is predicted that a record 31.5 million Americans are going to make some kind of financial wager on the Super Bowl. They are going to gamble money in relationship to the Super Bowl. 31.5 million Americans. That's um that's getting pretty close to 10% of the population. And so I I think that as Christians, this is something we need to bring into view and we have to talk about. Let us be clear. Gambling is expressly forbidden in God's word. It is not in line with his revealed will. Um, Focus on the Family has a post related to this that I just thought I would just borrow from today because it unpacks the concerns related to gambling um, and and also, I think, does so in a way that helps us recognize that, you know, there's there is something different 
in participating in what I will describe as government-sanctioned legalized gambling, including things like the lottery, but also, you know, the online betting and the app betting that takes place today related to sports and sports betting versus like, you know, I don't know, penny ante card playing, like, right? So there's a difference here, um, and yet uh, it may be uh, a difference without a distinction, So talking about gambling is important. We need to understand why God tells us not to do it. Um, And the truth is that you may think that gambling is innocuous and that it doesn't have any victims. And so, you know, why make such a big deal of it? Um, it's, it's, It's predicated on loss and pain and the suffering of someone else. So for one person to win at gambling, everyone else must lose. And sometimes the biggest losers are those who are close to us, right? So if you want to talk about losers related to gambling and you're the gambler, trust me when I tell you your family is losing. You are hurting your family through your gambling addiction. They are at risk, at increased risk for all kinds of negative outcomes. People who gamble are at increased risk of divorce, bankruptcy, child abuse, domestic violence, crime, and suicide. This is not a victimless or harmless issue. Gambling may be legal, but it's immoral. It, it's, it's, it, there's aspects to gambling that you may not have considered, and I want you to consider them today if this is something in which you are engaged. Gambling exploits and preys upon the desperation of people who are poor. There was a national gambling impact study um, that found that those with incomes of less than $10,000 spend more money on lottery tickets than any other group of people. High school dropouts spend four times as much as college graduates on the lottery. There's a biblical ethic at issue here. Anything that, uh, that, is robbing poor people and disadvan- further disadvantaging them uh, ought to be something that as Christians we line ourselves up against. Um, gambling also undermines a work ethic that's been part of God's design for human beings from the very beginning. There's also the problem of greed. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed is a problem, but so are vice and covetousness. Gambling is about, you know, getting rich quick obtaining the resources of others without actually providing any value in return. It undermines good stewardship practices as well in terms of the right use of the resources that God has placed under our stewardship. So, um, you know, there, there's a long litany uh, of reasons from the scriptures and from our understanding of who God is and the resources he has placed Uh, under our management and the work he has called us to do and the wealth he intends for us to have. Um, But the protection or the welfare of others is an important part of this conversation as well. 
when we think about um, what ought to be lawful and what ought to be unlawful, here I'm thinking about Romans chapter 13. Legalized gambling actually victimizes people. It doesn't protect the welfare of the citizenry. It doesn't suppress evil. Quite the opposite. Legalized gambling victimizes people, especially the most vulnerable people. It also condones and promotes vice, something that historically, you know, culture would have said it would, it would be positive if we suppressed. Gambling has a corruptive nature. It undermines our trust in God, um, and it certainly undermines our trust in one another. So when you are invited to participate in gambling this weekend related to the Super Bowl, just say no. Just walk away. Invest that money in something positive and gospel advancing. Don't participate in, in this way in what God has said is evil. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Do you know the name Kyle Mullen yet? Have you been praying for his family since he died on Friday? Kyle Mullen was participating in Navy SEAL training in something called Hell Week. Um, And he was 24 years old and he died. Kyle Mullen was uh, a football star at his New Jersey high school. He played for Yale, second team All-Ivy League. He also studied at Monmouth University. He was an honor graduate, described by a former coach as a great athlete, but even a better person. His coach added this, uh, Mullen was probably one of the best kids I ever knew. Great, great kid on the field and even better off the field. Kyle Mullen was 24 years old. He wanted to serve his country. He was doing so... Um, in the armed forces. And he rose to the top uh, and offered the opportunity of participating in special forces training with the Navy SEALs. They were in what is described as Hell Week. And the commander of the Naval Special Warfare Command said this, we're extending every form of support that we can to the Mullen family. Um, But you and I as Christians know their grief is deep and real. The use of the word hell in hell week got me thinking. How often do we as Christians take advantage of opportunities like this to talk about the reality of hell? There's a reason they use the word to describe the most excruciating form of training for American armed forces. There's a reason they call it hell week. So I want you to think about the use of the term hell here and what opportunity that gives us as Christians in our conversations in the culture today. How do we bring the mind of Christ to bear on this matter, on the matter of the death of Kyle Mullen? Everybody's talking about it. So how are we going to be talking about it today? I'm going to borrow here um, uh, from a a lesson from R.C. Sproul, And if you're not familiar with him, you can check out Ligonier Ministries. Um, 
R.C. Sproul once said, hey, we've often heard statements such as war is hell or I went through hell. And these are expressions not taken literally and literally, obviously, uh, you know, here referring to the headline of this week. What the Navy SEALs in training are enduring is not literally hell, but it's referred to a hellish experience or hell week. So why are we willing to use that term and what do we mean when we hear it? Especially when no human experience in this world is is actually comparable to hell itself. But if you want to imagine the worst of all possible suffering in the here and now, then that's what people mean when they apply the word hell to an experience here on earth. But we have to we have to be careful not to trivialize the reality of hell um, when we're talking about experiences that people have in the here and now. So what is hell? How should we think about it? Is it is it a reality? Is it uh, is it just a, a a frightful threat? Is it a symbol of something? What does it mean? Does it mean more than separation from God? Does it mean actual eternal punishment? If if hell is separation from God and people are living separated from God in the here and now, then they are experiencing a form of hell, but not yet hell itself. And so I think that when we're talking about hell, we need to consider the most frightening aspect of it. And that is that it's eternal. Hell is not a week. Hell is not uh, something that you pass through. I mean, the fact that Navy SEALs endure something called Hell Week, which comes to an end, um, you know, there's a reminder throughout that you can you can endure anything for a minute. You can endure anything for an hour. You can do endure anything for a night. Because morning will come. Because Hell Week will end. People can endure the greatest agony if they know it's ultimately going to come to an end. But hell? In hell? For those going to hell, there is no such hope. The Bible clearly teaches that hell is an eternal reality. The same word is used in the Bible for eternal life and eternal death. I mean, we're talking here about something that never ends. Maybe you've never considered um, your responsibility to share the gospel, the good news of the reality of God's redeeming grace in Jesus Christ with somebody else because you've never really cared or you've never really considered that short of a restored relationship with God through Jesus, that other person is going to spend eternity in hell. Eternity. I don't want people to go to hell. Which is why I want to advance the gospel always and in all ways, because, because I care that people be redeemed, that they know that God loves them, that they know God. 
and that they live in a reconciled, restored, loving relationship with him, not just for the here and now, but for all eternity. The gospel is forever. And yes, I will acknowledge we still need U.S. Special Forces and Navy SEALs because war is real and war is hell and the world is fallen and evil is rampant. And so I'm thankful today for those who endure Hell Week and serve us in the special forces of uh, every branch of the U.S. military. And I'm thankful today for Kyle Mullen and the ultimate sacrifice that he's made. And I pray to God. I pray to God that he knows Jesus. That Hell Week has ended and heaven has come. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. What do you fear? What do you fear? Do you fear failure? You have a fear of, I don't know, a a loss of safety or a fear of being asked to sacrifice? What's holding you back from stepping into all that God has created and called you to be as a part of his family business? I know there are times that people think I'm getting into their business and they'll say, well, it's none of your business. And I just look at them and say, you're wrong. You're an image bearer of the living God. I'm an ambassador of the king and the kingdom. I'm an agent of grace and a minister of reconciliation. And the father's business is my business. And so you are my business. How can I help? Have you ever thought about yourself as a part of the family business? That's the subject of The book by the same title, The Family Business, it's a parable about stepping into the life you were made for. Jeff Peters joins us next. Some of you are going to love this book just because it's based in Iowa. Um, Others of you for a myriad other reasons. The book is The Family Business, a parable about stepping into the life you were made for. Jeff Peters is the author and he joins us now. Jeff, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Thanks so much for having me on today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me go ahead and tell everybody the website you're looking for thefamilybusinessparable.com, thefamilybusinessparable.com. It's where you're going to get access to all of the free resources that are related to this excellent book. Uh, There's personal and small group reflection guide. There's sermon outline for pastors. There's a podcast. uh, There's an online course. I mean, just on and on and on. So thefamilybusinessparable.com. Jeff, let's start with the word family. So many meanings and experiences and emotions. Um, Who's the family we're talking about ultimately here, and what's the business? In the book, the family is the family of God. This is each one of us as his children stepping into uh, the business of doing God's work in the world, using the skills, the giftings, and ultimately the encouragement and power that comes from the Father himself. So that is the family business. It's God's family business. (laughs) 
And right at the open, we meet Jesse. Tell us who Jesse is and, you know, what Jesse's business in the world is, and then maybe, you know, how he has this desire for his children. Yeah, Jesse is this great uh, patriarchal figure of the family. He's an Iowa farm boy raised, born and raised uh, in the heartland of Iowa there. He's raised his family of five children. Uh, there's, I'm not going to give away all the details, but of course, uh, unfortunately, at this point in the story, his wife is no longer with him. Uh, but he Nevertheless, throughout all of his journey, he has come to the point where uh, he has started up this hardware store business, uh, a place where people can come when they have uh, troubles in their own uh, household and they need the right tool to help them uh, over this hurdle, right? That's what so many hardware stores are about. But Jesse's at this at this juncture in his life where he wants nothing more than for his five children to take the skills, the giftings, the passions that each of one of them have, each of their uniquenesses, and use those for the family business. So the book centers around his invitation to all of his five children to step into the family business with all of their skills and with their full life. And then follows on from that point to listen as each one of the five children wrestle with the invitation from their father. So, um, again, we're talking with Jeff Peters. He's the author of The Family Business. Uh, I want you to check out not only the book, but all of the associated resources, thefamilybusinessparable.com. Uh, it is a parable, and I appreciate um, I appreciate in the in the conversation guide in the study guide one of the things that you tee up for conversation is this parallel. Um, in the same way that I might very much wish that there were a Jesse's hardware store in my community so I didn't have to drive, you know, to the next city to get what I need. Um, there's this uh, there's this ache for there to be. Uh, an expression of the church in every community. T- talk with me about that in terms of your heart. Yeah, my goodness. I mean, Jesse's hardware, there's this great sort of moment in the opening of the book where he he rolls out the map and he's looking at all the places where he's got locations, uh, but where uh, there's all these blank spots. And that really is indicative of the church today. You know, across the globe, uh, there are, uh, based on the the numbers from people who study this information, we have Gordon-Conwell University and other groups, there's an estimate around 3 billion, with a B, 3 billion people living today who are living in places where they are not within walking distance or within close proximity to a body of Christ, or even a believer. It's not just so much that maybe they've never heard the gospel, or because with online technology, there's lots of places where you can uh, potentially get a hold of a Bible and read the Word of God, but it's they don't live near the example of somebody who can show them what life is like as a Christian, show them, walk with them, uh, encourage them, nurture them, uh, along their journey. And sometimes that's uh, in in our own backyards when we talk about 
lots of refugee communities and other places where, where people maybe have come in from overseas and they've cloistered together. Uh, and maybe the local church right nearby doesn't, they don't, no one really speaks that language. No one knows how to reach out because the cultures are different and everything else. And, and there's a struggle. And so sometimes it's, it's as simple as right there like that. And, and other times when we're talking about places in the world um, that are, are far geographically uh, from where many of us are, uh, but where uh, the body of Christ has just not taken roots yet. And so that, that's where my heart is uh, related to uh, the body of Christ in the world. So one of the things that you'll want to know about Jeff Peters is that he has a heart for people to know Jesus. Um, he has a heart for you as a Christian to be mobilized um, in your witness to the gospel. And and so the proceeds from the sale of this book um, go to support an organization called Operation Mobilization. And if you want to know more about OM, I want you to check it out at om.org, because I know uh, that's that's a part of what beats in Jeff's heart as well. Um, Jeff, you dedicated an entire chapter uh, to each one of Jesse's five adult children, Evie, Dave, Zach, Becca, and Mo. Um, each one of them, you know, has unique characteristics, as do we all. Um, and then each one, you know, is obviously processing their decision about the question or the invitation that their dad has issued in a different way. You really cover a wide variety of um, uh, of challenges that we all face. Do you want to just highlight a couple of those? Sure. I mean, the, the background of this book, uh, just for a little more context, we we uh, with within the work of Operation Mobilization that you just mentioned a second ago, part of what led to the creation of this book was a bunch of research. We went out, we listened to Jesus followers around the world and said, you know, if if this is God's mission, if he has each one of us on this trajectory to share his love with those who don't really know him, what are the fears that hold us back? What are the things that get in our way? And so ultimately, each one of these chapters is built uh, around some of what we heard straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, straight from the the mouth of many of these Jesus followers, things like, I'm afraid uh, of what I'm going to have to give up. Mm -hmm. Fear of sacrifice was one of the things that came out loud and clear, especially for those of us in the West, you know, I've got a good job or uh, my kids are in the great school or whatever else, or I have a great relationship with my neighbor. I'm not sure I want to rock the boat by going next door and talking about my faith or making that invitation. Uh, or in some cases, it's that fear of safety. You know, what What am I going to get myself into? Again, my, my children are safe where they are. What if we, if we were to be one of those families that moves out uh, to find one of those places uh, where, uh, where the, the church and Jesus followers are few and far between? Uh, or maybe, or maybe it's just a fear of failure. That's one of the other big ones that came across is maybe I just don't feel like I'm equipped enough uh, and so, of course, for all of us, each one of these fears is just an opportunity to grow as a disciple, right? To to step into this life that God has already called us to and to put our trust in him that he is with us for the journey. So no matter what gets in our way, we can absolutely build on and rely on our faith in Christ. 
We're talking with Jeff Peters. We're talking about the book, The Family Business, a parable about stepping into the life you were made for. I'm going to send you to thefamilybusinessparable.com because it will um, give you access to all of the great resources developed around this book, and they're free, thefamilybusinessparable.com. We'll be back in just a moment. More with Jeff Peters here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Peters is part of the international leadership team for Operation Mobilization. You can find them at om.org. He serves as an online course instructor with Fuller Theological Seminary. He is the director for the Mission Gap Project, and he is the author of The Family Business, a parable about stepping into the life you were made for. I'm going to invite you to visit him at thefamilybusinessparable.com. Um, Jeff, I want to talk about uh, the mission gap um, for just a moment, and then I want you to tell us what we were made for. Could we do that? It sounds good. <laughs> All right. What is the mission gap? Because this, I think, for Christians um, just helps us really understand where we are in terms of the Great Commission of Christ. Sure. The, the mission gap, as we describe it throughout the research and the body of work, and, the, and, the, and the, the different projects that come from the Mission Gap project is a, a, a call out based on the Great Commission. Each and every one of us, when we opted in, when we said yes to following Christ, we joined uh, the journey that he is on in the world. We joined his work. And by numbers, that is somewhere around 2.2 to 2.5 billion, billion with a B, Jesus followers in the world. Now, that's of, of some tribe, of some anywhere from uh, Catholic to Presbyterian to Pentecostal faiths to all, all over the map, 2.5 billion Jesus followers. But as we look at the numbers today, it is estimated that less than a tenth of 1%, so far less than 1% of Jesus followers today are actually actively involved in cross-cultural mission. That means of taking the gospel message to people who are not like themselves, who maybe speak a different language, who have a different family or cultural background, far less than a tenth of 1% of us are involved in doing that. And when we look at the amount of funding we actually provide to God's mission in the world when it comes to overseas missions, that number is equally bad. We're talking about yeah. uh, less than 2% of just the 6% that comes in all of our sort of Christian charitable giving. Less than 2% of that is actually dedicated to helping the gospel and people spread the love of Christ around the world. And so that is the mission gap. It's this gap between what we've said we are all about when we said yes to following Jesus and what we actually do as a body of Christ. Uh, and there is a wide gap in the middle. Yeah, I, I even think that, you know, just saying that there's a gap between who we're called and commissioned to be as Christians, right, as great commissioned people, and how we actually function as Christians in the world. Like, that's a gap. That's There's a huge gap for each and every one of us in terms of this conversation. So the Mission Gap Project uh, is something you guys are going to want to check out. 
Operation Mobilization as well. Um, you can actually access both of those um, through by checking out the Family Business parable.com the family business parable.com where you're going to get great resources related to the book we're discussing today which is the family business um talk with us about this ultimate invitation to each and every one of us uh to live into our position in the family business like what we're made for yeah carmen it's one of the things that we learned when we did this research i mentioned sort of before the commercial break we, one of the things that we heard when we listened to Jesus followers through our research around the world, we kept hearing this phrase, I'm waiting for my call. I'm waiting for my call. And it's it's this positioning of the idea that I'm just waiting for Jesus to invite me into his work. And that's just that's just not correct. When we look at scripture, we know that each and every one of us we opted in. He gave that call to his disciples. He came back. He resurrected. He came back. If you look at the, the gospel of John, as John recounts the story, Jesus appears to the upper room and says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. That was the moment we have all been called. It's not a matter of if we've been called. It's about how we've been called. And what we actually believe when we look at the, at, at the totality of Scripture, we have to understand that God has created each and every one of us with a unique shape, unique abilities, unique characteristics. Maybe we have certain language skills, educational experience, uh, vocational experience. And it's not about if we're supposed to use all of those things for his work in the world, but it's how. How are we going to use all of those things to help others know just how much their heavenly father loves them. We've got uh, amazing stories. I, I've been I've been contacted by folks through this book and through other work. I mean, doctors, as an example, who have taken their skill set, they said, you know what, I'm a doctor. Uh, I can get a job anywhere in the world, potentially. So I'm going to intentionally go and apply for a job in a place where churches are few and far between. We've heard from electricians and plumbers and, and mechanics who have taken their skill set and said, this is what God has given me. Let me go find somewhere in the world where I can do this work using the skills he's given me, but intentionally in a place where people don't know a lot about my own heavenly father. And so that is what I believe when we say stepping into the life you were made for, each and every one of us was made for God's work in the world. And that's what we need to step into with our full lives. So I love this approach, and I love um, I love the idea of you and just like rolling out the map as Jesse does, and looking for the places where there are gaps, obvious gaps, and then where you know where in those gaps are my gifts, talents, and abilities needed. And so no matter what it is that God has equipped you to do over time, the gifts, talents, abilities, experiences he has given you, you are now positioned to serve him as a missionary, um, as an ambassador, as a minister of reconciliation, as an agent of grace in a place where the church is not. And that is, um, and I know that you're saying to yourself right now, there's a church on every corner where I live. Mm -hmm. So maybe that means God's calling you to live somewhere else. Or maybe it means that God is calling you to to do what you do where you are, but to do it intentionally for him 
um, seeking out those opportunities for conversations with people in your own community who are not like you. Like there are different ways to understand and and experience and express this. The point is that it, it it's all God's business. Like everybody that you meet, everywhere that you go, they're God's business. And so as as God's people in the world, they're our business too. There's there's nobody that is outside of the concern that God has for people. And so when people are outside of our concern, we're outside of God's will. Like that's just how this works. And so Jeff uh, talks about it much more winsomely than I just did. In the family business, a parable about stepping into the life you were made for. Super invitational. It's super winsome. It's a great, great book to use as a conversation starter with, um, hey, your next generation, your kids and grandkids, your legacy people, your small group, your neighbors, people in your community who have said, wow, I wish that I knew how to reach out to others or to use my gifts, talents, and abilities, the experience of my life for the impact of the gospel. It's a super simple read. It's very short, and there's great free resources already developed. It's all available at thefamilybusinessparable.com. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Carmen, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Blessings um, to Operation Mobilization and, uh, and, and the Mission Gap as well. Thank you so much. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. I know you know the Olympics are going on. There will also be the 2022 Paralympic Winter Games. Um, Those will be uh, following the Olympics as well. And in a global first, um, there is a U.K. television network uh, that is sending an all-disabled lineup of hosts and pundits to the Paralympics in Beijing. Their team photo is um, awe-inspiring. It's encouraging. And so uh, there are a number of former Paralympians who are uh, who are featured in this group. But I just wanted to highlight that as a really good news pro-life story today. The uh, Paralympic Games will take place from March 4th to the 13th. And I know the Olympic Games are underway now. You'll also know that I'm resisting talking very much about it because I frankly um, am you know, don't want to support China and what they're up to in relationship to the Uyghur people. So every time you hear me talk about the Olympics, you're going to hear me talking, talk about uh, the genocide that China is uh, seeking to accomplish against the Uyghur people. And that is in no way a slight to U.S. or other Olympians competing um, in the Olympics this year. All right. You have been listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Visit us online. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.